Welcome to the aggressive life. Today, uh, it's going to be a little different. I say that all the time. Today is going to be a little different. I say it all the time because I get bored with the same old, same old. And today's different for a different reason because I don't have my trusty sidekick, Dirt. Dirt is not with us. That's a real, real bummer. Uh, he's home taking a bath. Finally, I said, do not come back to work until you take a bath. So he's taking a bath. <laughs> 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 he is t- he's at home watching his kids. But, but I have another personality plus with me. Somebody actually has a larger personality than Dirt. Alley Cat Patterson, how are you, Alley Cat? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I was reading your book, your brand new book that comes out when? January 2023. January, like what date in January? January 24th. Tuesday, January 24th. January 24th. So I was reading your book this morning. In your introduction, I love this. You talk about taking your kids to the the beach and building sandcastles Mm -hmm. and timing it so that the Water comes in and fills up the moat at just the right time, and then eventually the water gets higher and higher and wipes out all of your work that you guys have done. Here's, yeah. here's, what, here's what you write. You write, when the kids were young, the crying would begin when the end became clear. They hated the thought of putting so much work into something that wasn't going to last. I would try to be sympathetic but the truth was that it took everything in me not to say out loud, loud what I was thinking. Time for a science lesson, kids. <laughs> Time for a science lesson, kids. The ro- the tide was predictable. It was always coming. You knew this was going to happen, or you could have if you thought about it. The castle was never going to last, especially not built right there. That's good stuff right there. This is why we get along. Why? Right. <laughs> why is that? Why you and I get along? Yes. 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 Because that's how we talk to our kids. Yeah, Come right. Come on now. Totally. Yeah. Completely. It's a bygone lost art of parenting. Actually, right. tell your kids truth. Yes. Actually act like an authority figure. Yes. I mean, yes. I know parents have a real hard time with that. Mm-hmm. No, you actually know more than your kids and you can tell them what to do. Yes. So yes, we like each other a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah. also like you a lot because um, you built into my daughter, Lena. You were mm-hmm. a volunteer student ministry leader Yep. Uh, for my daughter way, way back when had a huge, huge, profound impact on her life. Okay. Can I tell the story the first time that I encountered something personal about you? Other I have than no like, idea what the story oh is, my gosh, I'm sure you can. so yes. good. Oh, no. What is okay, it? Okay. So I met Lena. She was 12 years old. And I was her student ministry volunteer leader. I happened to get some free tickets to Kings Island, which is like a roller coaster amusement park near us. And um, the girls, a whole group of them, they slept over at your house. I didn't know you other than you know being the the senior pastor that taught on stage. We didn't know, we didn't have personal relationship, but I came to your house to pick up the girls because I was going to take them. Now you weren't there, but Libby was, and she said, "Oh, I'll get the girls." And I looked kind of, and I I saw something on your kitchen countertop, oh. and I went. Oh, that's weird. And Libby watched. We should stop right now and go, what would Allie have seen on the kitchen countertop? We should have people Uh, try to guess. I know, we should. That would be great. They're never going to guess what this was. Um, Can I guess? Sure, go ahead. I don't know. Was it a gun? No, no, not that obvious. Was it it a tobacco product? Nope, nope. 
Was mm-hmm. it? Uh, I have no idea mm-hmm. then. What? So Libby, a Bible verse, Bible verse. That was on there. A Bible not. verse. There are no Bible verses on your <laughs> kitchen counter. So Libby sees me see it, and she kind of laughs nervously, and she goes, "Oh, ha 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 ha! That's Brian." And I said, "What is that?" She goes, "Well, we've had a mouse." <laughs> and the what I was looking at on the counter was a paper towel with your handwriting on it and a splotch of kind of brownish red stuff. And it says, all die who mess with daddy. And you had killed the mouse and left it for everyone. Right, right. Because it was messing with you. It was in your pantry causing havoc in your house. And you, that particular morning that I came (laughs) over to your house to get your daughters, your sweet daughter and all her friends, there was a the remnants of a dead mouse and this scrawly handwriting that said, all die who mess with daddy. I did not know you saw that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sure actually did. remember what I do with that. I mm-hmm. put it on top of a stool, like a three foot high stool mm-hmm. and put it in the door coming into our small kitchen. Yes. So in the morning they had to get in the kitchen and they would they see. They had to see it. And then the final line yeah. on it was, daddy always wins. Oh. That was the final <laughs> line. Oh yeah, part. I would always tell them, oh, daddy always, always wins. wins. Don't I try mean, to argue with me. Don't try to outlast me. I will always outlast you. I will always win. Well, that was my first per- semi-personal encounter with you in your home. And I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> you wish you had me for a dad, don't you, Alec? Yeah, you wish you. <laughs> I do. She All said. die who mess with daddy. I was like, hey, I'm digging it. I, I'm not at all put off by this. But Libby was, you know, she's so kind. So she's wondering, like, what am I thinking of what, you know, has gone? And it just happened to be still sitting there. So. Anyway. Yeah, well, I've definitely taken that a bit too far. I've, yeah. I've, I've scarred my kids a little bit. We all get along well now, but uh, I do think. Actually, that I, I felt that it was my my job as a dad to toughen up my kids, mm-hmm. and I I think there's an element of that that's fine, but I think I took that too far. I didn't I didn't do enough to show my kids tenderness, mm-hmm. um, actually pastoral care, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always erred on the side of like hard call toughness, mm-hmm. and um, I, I could have done more softness. So I apologize that to my kids. But here's the thing: you were doing something. I mean, there's just a lot of dads that aren't, they're just not engaged. And yeah. so, I mean, so you aired, you know, you went a little heavy on one side. I just think God knew you were going to do that. He gave you the kids that could be resilient, come back on the other side of that. It's all good. But um, you were active. You were doing the, doing something. No, thanks. So, you think dads are more unengaged than mothers? Definitely. 100%. No doubt about and it. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, why do you think that? And then why do you think that is? I see most women who have children take on the primary role of holding the household together. I don't know whether someone told them to. Nobody told me to, but it it happens that the— the woman in the home tends to become the glue that kind of holds it all together. And so I think sometimes we can take that too far and just keep all the responsibility for things. So I think there can be sort of a dysfunctional dynamic sometimes where um, even the responsibilities and and actions that dad might want to take are kind of – they can be overshadowed by just – you know, the mom that holds all the responsibility. And at the same time, mom feels like, well, if I let go, 
He's not going to do anything. It's all going to f- go to hell in a handbasket. I see that dynamic a lot. And yeah. and there's I think it gets into a vicious cycle. Why do I think that is? I I do think that um back in yesteryear we used to live with more help and I think a lot of women don't have the help they need to hold a household and a family together. And um we used to live with family members nearby. We used to live with built-in support structures yeah. that were on call for us. And there's just a lot of there's a lot of families out there that really suffer from not having that. So maybe one of the parents has to work a lot and the other parent has to soak up the responsibility. And when any little thing goes wrong, it all it all falls apart. So um yeah, I think it's like a coping but mechanism. But you think men are more detached now than they than they used to be? As dads? I'm not sure than they used to be. I would say than mothers. Okay. I think they are more detached from the lives of their children than mothers, by and large. I certainly know amazing dads who I would not say that about. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of men are just, they feel awkward, fish out of water, not sure what to do. They didn't have healthy fatherhood modeled for them, yeah, and now agreed. they're now they're just really concerned about getting it right and not doing something that would get them in trouble. Shoot, uh, the stuff I did to my kids, which by the way has made them great, great, all three mm-hmm. of them. The stuff I did to my kids, I'm glad social media wasn't around because if social yeah. media was around. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I I would have been canceled. Definitely. You know what I mean? You definitely would have been canceled. Oh, c- completely, 100%. 100%. I mean, you're borderline canceled now. <laughs> I know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you got this You got this book. I don't really want to talk about the book. We're going to talk about the book. Yeah. But what I really w- want to talk about is the is the content of the book that got you going there. Yeah. We did this. You had that little piece that I read mm-hmm. about the, the sand and the sand castle and being surprised when it gets crushed. Yeah. And I was uh, I was on a um I was on a trip to Germany not uh, a couple months ago. And uh during the trip I was learning about Hitler and this old theologian Martin Luther and some other stuff happening on this trip. Uh you got it costs money to go on a trip like that. It's pr- pretty expensive, right? I don't doubt it. And so the people I'm on the trip with um they all got not all. Most of a lot of them have second houses down in Florida, hmm. and it was right at the time when the hurricane was coming through, and so mm-hmm. all these folks are like emailing friends, texting, like, "What's going? How high is the surge? How does this, that?" They're, you know. <laughs> and I finally said, "I said." I want to be stressed out about my second house. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that like crushed Sanibel and Captiva and Fort Myers, yes, that one. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I, totally. want to, I want to have enough money to have a second house and be stressed out about whether or not it's going to be lost or not. And I said, people, people, did you not read what Jesus said about not building your house mm-hmm. on the sand? Why Why do you think totally. we're immune to that? It's sand. That means, Literally. and I don't care what your foundation is, it's sand. That means the elements pound the snot out of every, pound it down into sand. Whatever you possess will eventually be ground into sand. Totally. They were laughing. They were kind of, they had a good sport mm-hmm. about it. But, uh, but I do think that that's a good jump off of why do you think we're so surprised when bad stuff happens to us? That's basically the yeah. whole thing of book. When bad stuff happens to you, how do you endure? How yes. do you get through it? Why do you think we're all so surprised when bad stuff happens? 
You know, I grew up thinking if I could do it right, if I could build my life the right way, I could escape trouble. I don't think I ever consciously thought that, but I was so I was so pumped up with my own ability, my own capability and capacity to to build a life the right way according to the, what the world says to do with your life. And freaking it should have worked. Hmm. I did all those things and it wasn't good enough. Yeah. And I think that we have a version of strong lives that we sell to each other. And it really has nothing to do with with a life that will stand up in the end. And I did, I, for real, I thank God that I crashed early and hard to put that vision of what what makes a life that will stand up. I, I thank God that that. I was disabused of that thought early, very, very early in my life. What was life. your early crash? I, I know what it was, but just tell us what it was. Yeah, you, yeah. You talk about it in the book. So I do, yeah. Uh, there was a time when I wouldn't have wanted to ask you publicly. Uh, oh, but now yeah. now that you've actually gone public with this part of the book, tell us about that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I came out of college. I got a job at a great corporation. I thought I was doing it. You know, we got married. My husband and I, who's still my husband today, got married um, moved, both had great jobs, started exactly the kind of life that should have worked, right? And um, very early in our marriage, I was involved in an affair with a man that I worked with. And through the first, the internal mess that that made of me, and then the external mess that made of my marriage and my life, um, just everything was in pieces. From the inside to the outside, everything was in pieces. My character, my reputation, my friendships, my marriage, my job. I mean, you name it. It was all in pieces so early. And also, that was the, that was the period of time that I, I knew in the moment. I mean, I knew at the time that God was—I I always say he was putting the squeeze on me. He was like— um, coming into my life in an undeniable way. But it created havoc. I mean, it, it wreaked havoc. It was not pretty. And so as the, that all came to the surface and fell apart is when I, when I accidentally, I say I accidentally discovered the truth of what I eventually now 20-something years later wrote a book about but it was experientially what I discovered during that period of time, which kind of created this connection with God that I didn't expect. I wasn't trying to. Yeah. I wasn't looking for it. It was like um, I discovered the truth of this parable that Jesus tells where you're either um, standing on a rock foundation or you're not because trouble's coming for you. And I just lived the truth of that parable. You're either standing inland with those rocks Yep. Or you're standing on a beach where you shouldn't buy a freaking house. That's right. Where the tide was always coming in, kids. Right. Tide's always <laughs> coming in. Whether or, you knew it or not. Or you yeah. have enough money to pay for a very high insurance policy, and then yes. your house gets splattered, and you should never get upset about it or yes. stressed about it, because that's exactly what you signed up for. And I really think I must have—I th- don't think I ever thought about it, but I must have built my life thinking, if I did it right, I could escape trouble. That was never true. That was that was just never true, but I think I I just thought I was good enough to pull it off. I was just talking with a uh, a guy I know, talk about someone whose family had uh, lung cancer, and then he immediately said, and he doesn't smoke. 
And I said, I know you did there. I said, no, mm-hmm. you did. The same thing with a buddy of ours, uh, uh, Phil Reeve. You know Phil. Mm-hmm. I you do, know, yeah. his, his brother had uh, cancer a while ago. I don't know what happened with him, but um, uh, cancer of the mouth. And he said, like, yep. Yeah. And, and he didn't chew. Never use any tobacco. And people always, Crazy. they prompt that and say that because they know that all of us, when we find somebody who has cancer, mm-hmm. we want to find what they did wrong so yes. we can comfort ourselves that I didn't do that. So that can't happen to me. Totally. Oh, well, you're smoking. Oh, see, you're smoking. Oh, well, you're chewing. I said, yeah. And certainly that impacts those things. But we all want to like, we want to find when someone does, mm-hmm. someone is wrecked, well, it's because you did this and I'm not doing mm-hmm. that. So therefore I'm safe. You're saying none of us are safe. Eventually we're all going to get wrecked. Is that what you're saying? Eventually there's trouble coming, okay. but I don't think eventually everybody collapses. Okay. And that's exactly what I think Jesus was trying to tell people with this parable. He was trying to tell people there's one kind of life that doesn't collapse in the end and only one. And it's one that's built on me. And you can do all the other things. You can, you can build life lots of other ways. And if I'm not at the bottom, it will fall. Period. End of statement. And I just, I think we can read that right now, here and now. You know, we can invest our money and our time and our energy into building our own little kingdom and our own career and our own family and our own life. And there's a lot of good things that might look like on the outside. And in the end, when trouble hits, because it's going to, those things will be shaken and shown for what they are, which is unsteady. But it seems like there's a lot of people who have a life where Jesus isn't part of their life because they, they're just unbelievers, they're agnostic, they're atheists, yeah. and it seems like their they're life fine. works out fine. So yeah. what do you make of that? Well, I make of that, you can read this this particular parable and Jesus' teachings two ways because, I mean, make no mistake, God cannot be mocked. In the end, there will be a reckoning, an assessment of what your life is really built on. So if if that doesn't happen in your physical life here and now, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. And so I, I talk about that a little in the book, how, um, you know, the time is now, the, the time for his grace to be able to build or rebuild pretty much anything in your life is now. Um, you don't have to wait till it all falls apart. You really don't. But at some point, God will shake everything that can be shaken, and we'll see what lasts. Wise people only look wise when the crap hits the fan, right? Because Whatever is um, whatever is well built will will be standing at that point. I was one of the people who pushed you, maybe the earliest person to push you to to share your adultery story publicly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the reason was, if you remember, it's because I just was interacting and personally counseling so many people who are dealing with affairs in their marriage, and there just wasn't any models to yeah. say, "Well, look, here's someone who did this." And, uh, there was models of people who got divorced. And there's models of people who got through it, but they never talked about it. So there wasn't anybody right. who was. So I encourage you to do that, and you and you did that. And I'm struck by how how hard and painful it was, and understandably so, appropriately so, mm-hmm. to talk that through. It was man, it was touch and go. It was really really tough, and you had to get Billy to obviously approve and what was said. And it was really to where now you just. You 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 talk about it now like you're explaining how you made peanut butter and jelly. 
Yeah. So what's yeah. the difference? What what happened? You just got used to telling the story, or is there deeper levels of healing, or is that part of what the book is about of how you overcome difficulty? What's what's going on there? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit of a couple of things. One is as we've stopped running from the story of our past, we've understood that God does amazing things out of that. When you just stop running from what your real life really was, God can do amazing things. And I've watched, um, I'm meeting with someone right now who's coming out of an affair in their own marriage. I have met just scores of couples over the last handful of years um, who've come to me wanting to talk because nobody says anything. And here's the thing. I just got tired of not being free enough to talk about how God did an amazing thing in my life. How can I, well, I have I, I have this really good friend and she pisses me off all the time. And she read my, the manuscript of my book and she goes, what's your favorite? How, how is she a really good friend if she pisses you off all the time? Because that, she's, that, that can't be a good friend. No, she, no. no she Every does. once in a while, she can't be a really good friend if she pisses you off all the time. Okay, time no. to find another friend. <laughs> she's like a... She's the one that just gives it to me straight. She's a truth teller. So she reads the manuscript of my book because I gave it to her early. And she said, what's your favorite part? So I told her what my favorite part was. And she goes, that's nice. I knew you'd say something like that. She goes, everybody's going to want to talk about your story. No one's ever going to ask you about that. And she said, and I said, why do you think that? And it annoyed me. And um, she said, um, because you don't make any sense without it. You don't make any sense without it. And I thought about that for a long time. I actually thanked her in the back of my my book for saying that because— You don't make, you don't make any sense without said, the adulterous affair. Yes. Huh. She said, you don't make any sense without knowing the whole story. Hmm. And um, I thought about that for a long time. It really annoyed me because I think um, nobody, wants, nobody wants to be—I don't want to talk about that all the time. But also I've realized if I want to talk about Jesus— that's part of the story because the amazing things that he he has done in my life and in me are only amazing if you know what used to be. And um, so I think it's it's getting comfortable with the fact that also you free other people when you when you tell your story. When when you are free enough to say this is who I was and this is what God did in the middle of my life and this is who I am now. Um, it frees other people. Mm-hmm. And as I've watched that happen, I'm like, that is too good to pass up. That's too good to pass up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I've grown in my comfort level with being messy. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be messy. I don't even like my house messy. And so um, I think I have a natural inclination to overcome. Um, people relate to messy because all of us are. And the truth is I have a really messy story. And I come off one way. If if you only meet me now and you never know that, mm-hmm. you would have some very wrong assumptions about who I am and what I care about and why I do the things I do. And I just – I'm not willing to let that go. It's too good of a story about God. Yeah. So. so you got three steps, mm-hmm. three things yep. that people need to do – before the storm comes, before totally. the difficulty comes. Can you yeah. tell us those things? Yeah. So um, it's three things, and I see these over and over and over in Scripture and in real life. 
And I say that they're in succession because Jesus puts them in succession. Before he tells this parable, the wise and foolish builder, he says this sentence. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? He said, for anyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And then he tells this parable about two builders and how one builds a house that when the storm comes, it stands, and one builds a house that when the storm comes, it falls. But he says, anyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, and those, th- those are the three things. The parable is just an illustration of what happens to you when you do those three things. Mm. And so as I read that and I started getting curious about what did he mean by that? That's like right there in plain sight. We just read over that, but it's those are that's what he says. He says come to me. So I started looking at when does he tell people to come to him? And and what is coming to Jesus? And um I realized everybody I know with a faith that's real and honest and raw and matters in their life, they come to Jesus. They don't pretend. They come with their whole self, their whole life, no matter who they are or where they are, they're willing to deal with that reality with God. That's coming to Jesus. Then hearing his word, that's a little bit more obvious. You you need practices in your life where you turn down the volume of other words and you turn up the volume of his words. And for me, that's everything from the discipline of reading scripture to the disciplines of like, why don't you just drive your car in silence? There's so many words in your world. Why don't you just drive to work in the quiet? Yeah, don't listen to this podcast. Right. It's the last thing I do. You're really <laughs> wasting, we, you're wasting your life. After we finish this Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You want people to turn it off, then let's turn it off. They don't get a long advertisement for your book. No, so if you're going to be real spiritual, <laughs> you're going to be one of those spiritual people like, just don't listen. Great. <laughs> let's just end right now and not even tell people the the, 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 yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the title of the book. So, yeah, good. So yeah. I just said, we don't need to hear anything she said. <laughs> just sit and be silent. Sometimes. And sometimes podcasts are good. <laughs> yeah. And the third the third thing is when you fill your life with his word, he's going he's gonna to kick you in the booty. He wants you to move. The last thing is to actually practice what he says. And I, I, he just meant do it. He just meant do what I said. But I left the word practice on purpose because I think we get this impression, like you said, super spiritual people go, I'm not going to do anything unless the Lord tells me to. No, no, just move. You can move wrong. You can move messy. You can make a bad turn. If you are moving in what you think is response to a living God, I think he's pleased with that. Happy to work with you. Mm-hmm. Who cares if you get it wrong? So what's the exact words that he uses then? He says, anyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts it into practice. Oh, he doesn't say do it. I thought he said and Mm -mm. does them. He says puts it into practice. Interesting. And as I I thought about what that looks like in my life, practice is the best word. It really is. Because— Now I have enough confidence in my connection with Jesus that it's actually kind of fun. I'm like, "Ah, I think it's you. I'm going to see. Let's let's see if it is. Sometimes that's led me to like big changes in my life. And other times it's just like silly everyday moments between the two of us um, that no one else will ever know or care about. And the thrust of this book and my heart for 
people who read it and for anyone who wants to attempt to, you know, be open to God in their life is really that you would know the first and most important thing is that connection between you and a living God. And everything else comes after that, Hmm. comes as a result of that, comes in the flow of that. You know, um, we have a lot of causes that are really good. We have a lot of organizations that do great things. And I, I, we have a lot of political turmoil and all that crap in our everyday life. And I think it's really easy to get swept up in that, pick a side, think you're in the right, you know, do that for your whole life and forget that at the end of the day, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you never did what I said. Mm. You talk about a standing strong story. Describe that. What is a standing strong story? Does everybody have a standing strong story? No, but I want them to. <laughs> um, I think a, a a story that you can tell that you're still standing usually comes on the other side of risking something on God. Like I risked something to find out that God was right, that he was true, that he was real, that he was there. Whatever that story is, that's your that's your still standing story. Because if you're still standing on the other side of a risk that you took on God, and you will be, hmm. um, you got a story. That's good. Well, of the three things, are they sequential, I assume? Definitely. You got you to you hear him. You got to come to him before you hear him. And, Definitely. You gotta, and then you can't put anything into practice that you haven't actually heard. Yes. It's so, it's so cool that you said that because what, my favorite thing about the parable itself, if you read that parable— um, is that both builders heard the word, but only one actually built in a way that could stand. And I, I think that's because he, the, the other guy never came. You can be in a church yeah. for your yeah. whole life. You can read the Bible your whole life. And if you never came with your whole heart before Jesus, doesn't matter. Do you think that unbelievers on the whole— have more pain and difficulty than believers? Have what? More pain and difficulty. Oh, not necessarily. No. I wouldn't say that. But if why wouldn't they? If if coming and hearing and practicing, they're not interested in any of the, any of those three. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I don't I don't think any of us escape a life you know, of some pain and difficulty. But may, maybe over time you avoid some certain things because you're actually seeking the wisdom of God. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. There are some things that are just like, I don't even have to think about those. Yeah, I don't think you're uh, I don't think you're more immune to cancer just because right. you happen to have been baptized as a Christian or something like that. I don't right. think you're more immune to escaping a recession or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think that um, God's ways work and we sure. do have <clears throat> less trouble with our kids if we raise kids the way God wants to raise Boy, us. We you know? are seeing that. You know, somebody said to me shortly after kind of the worst fallout of the affair, somebody said to me, it's possible that you've already lived through the worst days of your life. Huh. And that— wow deeply encouraged. That me. is encouraging. That was so encouraging. We, wow. we, and because, and the context of that person saying that to me was because they knew that I was seeking God. They knew that I wanted his healing. They knew that I was welcoming him into my life and asking for his help. And, and he said, you need to know right now 
you may well have already lived the worst days. And I went, oh, God, I hope that's true. It's hard to believe that at 20-something because yeah. you always just assume, <laughs> you know, probably what's awaiting me. And I, And to date, at least 20 years later, that is absolutely true. So you actually came to faith mm-hmm. through your affair? Well, I came back to faith. Okay. I, I truly came to Christ when I was 16, but I walked away, didn't really understand it, didn't know how to live it. And the process of God getting a hold of my life again for real, for good, for like live this, are we doing this or not, was that. Undoubtedly. And who was the person who held your hand through that and pushed you on it? Man. Are we not allowed to say it publicly? No, no, no. I was only, I said man because I wish I had had one. Oh, you had a bunch. I had several, and God was good, and he, uh, like, definitely sent me people at certain times. Mostly I felt very alone, which is why I, like, currently have someone in my life that— and the first thing I said to her when she came to me, and she's in a mess, and, you know, like, it's always a disaster. And I said to her, you're you're not alone. I'm not going to allow that. Because I know how awful it is to wake up and try to convince yourself today isn't going to suck. I know what it's like to try to open your eyes in the morning and go, like, I'm not going to look anybody in the face today. I'm not going to make eye contact with anybody today because everybody thinks I'm a pariah. Everyone thinks I'm the worst. It was well known then? Yes. Yeah. Shortly after. Yes. My stuff. Yes. And— I now, if I have the chance, you know, I've just said to God, I can't, I can't allow, you know, and I'm not, I'm not Pollyanna about it. You know, if somebody comes into my life for that reason, I'm like, hey, listen, you know, I know what you're doing right now and I know how you're feeling and I'm going to push you on it. And also I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you be alone and I'm not going to let you believe what I know other people are telling you. Cause that's the thing. When you go through something, you're like, I know what other people are telling you. I know the story you're going to be tempted to believe about yourself, and I'm going to be the person in your life going, that is not true. That is not true. And um, any time you give yourself willingly into a life of darkness or sin, it's a long way out. It's a long way out. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because— I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. (laughs) To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. 
So here you are all those years later. You're not only restored marriage, Mm -hmm. not only have a very strong faith, you're actually leading people in faith discussions. You're one of Mm -hmm. our teaching pastors here at the, we're we're recording right now inside of uh, the studios inside the church. I started 26 years ago at Crossroads Church. You're in on the teaching team. Yep. As a woman. Don't yeah. you know? Don't you know yes. that women aren't supposed to teach? <laughs> don't you know that we want you to publicly repent? I get told that on get, a regular basis. You get, you get told that. Yes. <laughs> I get lots of messages about that. How do they tell I you? I was these recently. Things? I was recently just utterly demolished on Twitter over that. As a matter of fact, oh, I'm not were. even on Twitter, and they put a video up of me and just crushed me. What did it. they say about you? Um, well, they did that because Beth Moore visited us, and she has trolls. Right. So anywhere she goes, they're interested in who's there. So, oh, they called me terrible things that I'm not. I mean, if you you know, mostly they're concerned about people being radical feminists. And I'm like, do you have we ever met? Do you have you, you know, so it's a lot of people who are worried about things that if you just settle down and watch someone and listen and look for the fruit in their life and listen to what they're saying, you can easily figure out if that's true or not. Right. But people just like to find things to yell about. And, you know, I've had to grow some thicker skin. Nobody likes to be rejected and ridiculed. And right. and I, I've noticed, I, I actually have noticed two things that have helped me in that capacity. I've noticed, one, um, that there's a pattern to—I believe there's an enemy of God and therefore an enemy of your attempts to follow him, whatever those might be. They're going to be opposed. And so um, I've noticed when that's happening in my life, it comes in a certain package because it's like a soft spot for me. It's about the only thing left that would, would kind of take me aback for a minute. And so I've learned to recognize the vein of like comments and accusations and, you know, talk. And I'm like, oh, I know what this is. Okay. I can get through it a little bit better because I know I recognize the pattern now. You get it on a couple levels, though. You get it on uh, on the theological level of, wait, doesn't the Bible say that women shouldn't teach publicly? You get it on that level which maybe we'll talk about that, what your, what your opinion of that is. But then also just on a practical level, you get it on the, you don't dress well mm-hmm. enough. <laughs> like I can't, I can't, I can't imagine preaching and then getting emails about my clothing. Yeah. I uh, getting, e- I, I just, it's, it, yeah. it blows. And if anyone should get them, it should be me. Yeah. Cause I'm, cause I'm not very well dressed. Yeah. And I went for years That's and funny. years and years, the same clothes over and over and over and over and yeah. over and over and over and over again. Yeah. But like, why, why would people pick you on know, you for your clothes? Is that think, is that totally sexist, or is that or is it women picking on you? So women pick on their own, or I, I, certainly no man's picking on your clothes, are they? Or are they? Not really. It does usually come from women. Yeah. I think there's something. I think there is something interesting about that. I do think that women represent the beauty of God in a special way. Like they just do more than men. You know, it's like something unique about women hmm. represents beauty, and God is a creator of beauty. And so women, I think, to receive criticism where beauty is concerned isn't really that surprising to me because, you know, we all have our own opinions about what beautiful looks like. So I, I, I've i heard 
I don't fit some people's opinions about what that looks like. That's okay. But I'm not surprised that there's criticism where beauty is concerned because I think, you know, if women are meant to kind of portray the beauty of God in, in sort of a special way, what better way than to tear that down, to make you insecure about it, to help you not believe in that about yourself? You know, that's always going to be anything you represent really well from God is going to be, it's just going to be come against. Yeah. And I've learned to expect that. But the one that really gets me, honestly, the one that really gets me is you're dishonoring him. Hmm. That gets me. It's still hard for me to hear that. Really? Because to think that you would give your life to honor him and be so utterly blind and deceived that actually in your attempt to honor him, you dishonor him, that's horrifying to me. And that one, that one gets me. So, How do you answer it when someone says that? I don't typically engage that person. I mean, I, I will always graciously respond. I give them a three strikes, like— I'm going to I'm going to respond graciously twice and if you're still you know a jerk on the third time you're going to get blocked. Like yeah. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I just I can't I can't deal with you know. Is it only on Twitter? And, I'm not on Twitter. Oh. Okay. Um I will Facebook? get People mostly I'll get it's private messaging on social media apps. That's right. typically how it comes. Sometimes there's a public comment, but if public comments usually other people will take care of it for you, which is really nice. Yeah. You know. Um, so usually it's private messages on social media stuff. I don't get them as much as I used to. I think once people get used to seeing you, they just ease off. They're like, eh, she's not going anywhere. So right. we'll just lay off of it. But yeah, that one gets me because it's one of those like, do I have a booger on my nose and I don't even know it? You know, like it's that thing where you go, could I be that blind? Could I be that confused about what honors God and doesn't honor him? You know, so that... That used to send me reeling. And now I know that's the unique thing. If there was one thing that could shut me up, it would be you're dishonoring him. Yeah. I've shifted, as you know, I've shifted my my belief on women leadership, women teaching. I've, mm-hmm. I, I was in that more traditional place 26 years or so ago and had all the Bible verses to quote with that and everything else. And I, I ended up changing my understanding of what the scriptures holistically teach mm-hmm. as it should be applied today. Um, but I do, even, you know, when people have this criticism, I at least in my mind, and I'm wondering if you're this way, at least mm-hmm. go, okay, well, at least even someone's there being mean, they're being hurtful. Maybe they're not trying to be as mean, as hurtful as they are. Mm-hmm. But there's at least one person who's trying to aggressively obey the Bible. Mm-hmm. You yeah. got to give them that at least, yeah. right? Because the people just—that's—that's that's not a very common value today. Yep. If there was ever going to be, an- they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they're wrong. But I'm okay to live with you because I might be wrong too. Yeah. I might be wrong, but you know, we're at least talking a couple people who have the same basic foundation yeah. constitution. At least you're looking through the same lens. Yes. Yeah. And I, I just think I could I could actually thrive in multiple environments around this, if there was ever going to be an airtight case, if you will, on one side or the other of women leading and speaking and teaching in the church, we would have it by now. Yes. There is not an airtight case. There are multiple ways to look at it and understand it. Years of study, years of understanding, many people devoted their lives to this and come to different conclusions about holistically what the scriptures teach. And that's why I would say I could thrive 
in, envi- in multiple kinds of environments. If I thought God was calling me into a place that was on a couple places on the spectrum, all right. Like, it's just not something that defines I'm, – I'm very confident in my connection with the Lord, and I do not believe he would put me in a place that was against him and that dishonored him and dishonored his word. I just don't believe it. And if I was there, I believe I would, I would know it. I would hear it. I would feel it. I would understand. I'm out of alignment with him somehow, and he would move me out of it. Mm. So I'm just, I'm very confident in that. I'm not confident in my, my, I could easily have wrong thinking about something. That's totally possible. What I'm very confident is if I'm out of alignment with his spirit and his work in his kingdom and in my life, he can move me. He can reach me. He can get me out. And I would go. So I just think, yeah. I I feel in alignment with the Lord on what he's called me to do and where he's called me to do it. And I'm, I feel solid about that. I think part of our thing too is people are so worn out and run down that we just don't have the bandwidth to give grace understanding to somebody who has different convictions than me. Yeah. We're just, we, we don't have it. So I hear someone speaking. I think shouldn't speak. It's kind of rattling with my understanding of the Bible. Uh, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't engage. I, can't, mm-hmm. you know, I just got to like lash out because I don't, I don't have the bandwidth to yeah. to deal with it at all. Uh, what is it? Our, our, our number one, maybe you know this. Maybe you remember this from one of our uh, training strategies we had years and years ago. We had Donald Miller who wrote a best-selling book come in. He has a marketing company. And he said the the number one drive of the human brain. Do you know what it is? The number one drive of the human brain? Isn't it like to conserve calories? Yes. It's to, you're, you're supposed to operate as efficiently as you possibly can. Yes. Conserve calories. Yep. Which means thinking burns more calories mm. than walking, which is why I'm always hungriest when I'm studying. Not hungriest when I'm I'm not hungriest when I'm working out. I'm mm-hmm. thirsty I work out, but I'm not hungry. I'm hungry mm-hmm. when I'm like reading and doing stuff like that, right? Because the brain is always trying to therefore let me simplify it and understand so I have to think about it. Because I'm burning calories, it's yes. not good for my survival. I got it. Okay, I got it. Got it. You know. So yes. he says that's why Trump won the election way back when the first first election because it was very simple. Made it simple Make America people. great. I get that. Yeah. And Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, her thing was. Right, you can't remember. Right? Uh, it's, I don't it was remember. complicated. No? I know, yeah. <laughs> it was complicated. Uh, I don't so, remember. So I think, I think for most of us, we're so stressed out, and our brain's telling us to serve cows. We're like, you know what? I don't need to look at that women teaching. Thing. I, I get that. I already understand. I put it away. Put it away. Isn't that, that's kind of where we are, yeah. you know? You know what I do that with? Emotional things. I get hungry and exhausted, and I'm burn. I burn tons of calories. If I'm tempted to like conserve calories, it's on high, high or lows emotionally. I like to operate pretty steady in the middle mm-hmm. of the scale, mm-hmm. and so when something throws me outside of that emotionally, I go down to a one or a two or up to a nine or a ten. Even if it's good, I'm exhausted by it, mm. and I get worn out by it because I think that's my conservation. That's my way of you know, conserving is – my husband asked me how I was last week, a few days ago. And I said, you know, I'm, I feel really tired and I think it's because I have this kind of emotional issue I've been spinning in my head around one of my kids. So I'm fine. Like objectively on paper, I'm fine. But I'm spending all of this time spinning on on this thing – 
that's that I'm feeling things over. Mm. And so for me, a lot of calories burned on feeling things. Yeah. I'll cut those off. Right, cut them off. Yeah, right. That makes sense. If I can stay at a five and, you know, that's great. So I wonder if the difficulty, enduring difficulty, still standing during during difficulty, might be reflected in some of our religious practices and our convictions. I don't know if you saw recently the BBC reported that in England, Christians were a minority for a first time in Mm. history. England it was, it used to be mm-hmm. the center point of all Christianity, all the missionaries, David Livingston, Dr. Livingston, I presume, that whole story. All the great missionaries came out of, came out of England, and it's gone from, no, it's not the center point of Christianity mm-hmm. anymore. In fact, in terms of people who actually go to church in England, it's like 1.5%, I think. But, Whoa. yeah, it's, it's crazy. But it's dropped in terms of people who identify as Christian. It dropped from 59.3% to 4, 46.2% over 10 years. And that same census found that every other major religion, it increased. Every single one increased mm. except Christianity. What what could be driving that? Do you think that there's any any worldview that certain people think Christianity is about and then they realize it doesn't work, so maybe they'll try something else? Do you think that other—I I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that we have a very adequate preparation for difficulty and suffering. I don't think—I I think that's definitely part of it. I also think culturally— Christianity has just been in the majority for so long in so many parts of the world, like, you know, in the U.S. and in England and other cultures like that. I think we're in a time where people are deconstructing whatever the predominant culture has been. doesn't matter if it's good or bad. They just don't want it. You know, we're just taking things apart um, that have been the predominant cultural tide, if you will. So whatever that is, I think people are tearing that down. And interestingly, I think it goes along the other thing Christianity claims, which I think you can easily see these trends around the world in in places like that where Christianity is declining, is we have a less tolerance for an absolute truth. For an absolute— We do. Christians um, do? The world does. does. I think our cultures of the world and Christianity— there's no doubt about it, right? I mean, there's some absolutes. Very clear black and white. Yes. You have to do this. You have to think this. You have to believe this. And there are—it claims—the scriptures claim to be the truth, you know? And that is a very unpopular thought, that there could be one thing or one ideology or one religion that is true with a capital T. Yeah. Um, I think that's always going to get torn down in what I what I did a bunch of research when I was in seminary on postmodernism. That's just a rejection of absolute truth. So anything that anything that claims to have an absolute objective truth is going to be torn down in that kind of well. Culture. And yet, if Islam is growing, Islam is one of those religions that talks about absolute objective truth as well. There's some differences in what we see, but yeah, they're pretty hardcore. You know. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. I, I just think Christianity is the more known, you know, yeah. quantity. Yeah, so let's let's go after mm-hmm. the winner. Pull yes. the winner down. Sure. And to be honest, I think that God will 
I don't know. I think he'll do some kind of interesting things with that. You can't look back at church history and not think that every time the church starts to get, you know, eaten at and persecuted and torn down, it's usually a significant move of God that follows that. So I can't say I'm excited about the thought of that, but I am excited about God um, purifying his church and moving in a new way. That's exciting. Yeah, that which gets destroyed and pulled down ends mm-hmm. up being fertilizer for the next growth that, mm-hmm. that pops up. Yeah, We hate to think that we're fertilizer, but <laughs> sorry, you're not <laughs> that important. You're just not I that. I agree. Yeah. yeah, no, that that's a that is a terrifying thought, I guess. <laughs> it is. But, you know, your decomposing body has become fertilizer. But I do, I, I actually do think at the end of the day, do I believe that his kingdom will be the final kingdom or don't I? And I I just believe that. Yeah. So I think there will never be a time, no matter what it looks like, where his kingdom is actually dying or going away. I just, no, period. Allie Patterson, you ready for the lightning round? This is where no, I Lord, get you. know the light. You heard the aggressive life. You know I the, have. I have. You, I know you're into I it. I just you're, don't you're, know what you're going to ask I me. I know. Yeah. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. Most aggressive move you're making right now. Oh, using my voice in brand new ways and brand new places with people I've never met. For sure. Good. Let's say I just made a major mistake. What's my first move to stay standing? Get honest with God. Brutal honesty. Brutal honesty between you and God. First step. Next big goal you're going after personally. Launching a podcast in 2023. Ah. You want to come on as a guest? Well, yeah. What's it called? Still Standing. Still Standing. Yeah. Ah. And that's going to be a regular ongoing. Mm, We're doing a pilot season early early 2023. So we'll see how it goes, but I've got some I've got some cool guests lined up and we're very interested in how God interacts in real people's real lives and messes to keep them standing. Interesting. So you'll, you'll be hearing more about All that. All right, so let's uh let's let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit more. Okay. So is this a like a short run podcast or is this going to be it, like your thing you're going to do long term? I would love to do it long term. I think right now we're just going like, "Hey, we're going to do season 1. We're going to see how it goes and you know, it's an experiment, but an experiment I expect to work. What do you? Th- why do you think it is that it seems like women really need and respond to some female teacher they can mm-hmm. kind of latch onto? Yeah, I and th- it doesn't seem like that's that much with men. I mean, men, I mean, men like teaching, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like like men as much need a champion. Uh, you know, just go through all the all the names and and female Christendom. It looks like. It seems like women really like having somebody that's their girl. True or not? Yeah. No, I agree with that. I couldn't say I know all the reasons why that is, but I definitely think when you hear somebody articulate life in a way that you think about it, I want that. Like, I want to hear more from that person. And I, I feel that way, too. When I hear somebody talk like I would say something, I'm like, something's going on there. I want to... I want to I want to connect with that person. I do think women have a a strong drive for relational connection and podcasting is interesting in that way cuz a lot of times I did one years ago and I would have a lot of people say to me I feel like I know you. 
you talk to me in my car, in my living room. Yeah. And I wonder if men feel that way. They probably do feel That's that way. That's really good. I think you, must, you hit on something I hadn't thought about. Maybe it is the relational connection, mm-hmm. whereas most men, we're, we're talking about broad brush, most men aren't looking for relational connection. They're looking for information. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're, they don't feel personally tied up and name the teacher of the year yeah. kind of thing. And I've heard you talk about how men forge relational connection in the middle of activity, a, a lot of them, in yeah. some kind of common activity, and women often do in conversation. So if you put me in your ear— you feel like we're connected and you're willing to stay connected. So I love I love a podcast forum because I just think it's it's a full you're your full personality. It's casual. It's e- it's right. easy. It it feels like you actually can be more fully known. Yeah. I'm in the elevator. Ding. I get inside, the door closes. Mm-hmm. What's your stump speech for why I should buy your book? Because you know the part of your life right now that's not going well. And if you keep letting those cracks widen, you will go down. And this book will help you stay standing. And you think that's everybody? Absolutely. No doubt about it. I think everybody right now, as a matter of fact, I asked this at, when I was at a sales meeting for my publisher. I said, the first thing out of my mouth was, raise your hand if you have a part of your life right now that you know is not going all that well. And like 90-something percent of the people in the room put their hand up. Hmm, they admitted it. Mm-hmm. Women? Eh, it was a mix. Men, most men there would was sales, that. There were salespeople in the room. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, I think most people have a part of their life that they know is on kind of shaky ground. And I'm going, hey, right there, that's where you need to come to Jesus. Right now. Right there. And I, I believe that his words are true and they will build something that's much stronger than whatever you're standing on today. So you believe people who read this book are going to have less turmoil in their lives. Definitely. And people who have turmoil in their lives are going to get out of turmoil more quickly. I absolutely believe that because the heart of this book is about connection with a living God who knows the way out. You don't need me. You need him. No. So if you can get to him, yes, Absolutely. No doubt about it. All right. Hey, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Only only that um, I really wanted, because I know, I know you've been inside some prisons, and I have a goal with this book. I really want to get a book to everybody I've in prison. I've been inside prison. some prisons, prisons Pris- helping people in prison. Helping not people. Not because I've ever been incarcerated. <laughs> Correct. Um, not I that could I have know. Been I, I was going to say not that I would be surprised I could have been had story. I gotten caught for a few things. Correct. But I've never yes. been incarcerated. Yeah. My, I, it occurred to me after I wrote the book, I had no thought of this while I was writing it, but I have volunteered regularly in a, one, a state prison in Ohio that's all women. That's about an hour from my house. And um, it occurred to me after the fact that this is a really good message for women who have been knocked down and don't really think rebuilding a life is possible. And a Mm. lot of them don't. And so um, there's a lot of crap that just follows you around after you've been in prison. And there's a lot of damage just on every possible level to the lives and stories that I've met on the inside. And it occurred to me that this message is one for everybody and might be especially encouraging in the hands of a woman who feels like she's done. And so um, anyway, I have a goal to get one in the hands of everyone in prison, in this prison that I volunteer. And if we fill that prison, we'll just keep going. So um, anyway, if you want to drop it in your show notes, there's a special 
like you can send a book to a woman in oh, prison. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. So I'll give it to you. I'll give you the link. You Volunteering in prison is a very sobering thing it because really when is. you go in, mm-hmm. you realize I'm just one bad decision on the wrong day of my life away from 100%. being in the same place. 100%. The day before some crap went down, you're thinking your life is fine. You're a decent person trying to make ends meet. That's a lot of the stories. I actually um, said to one of the regular volunteers the first time I went in, I said, hey, a few people told me their story today. A lot of these women have um, they have sexual abuse in their story. And I said, is that a common thing? I just feel like I heard that a lot tonight as they were talking to me in the small group. And she stopped and looked at me and she said, it is the most common thing. It is the, it is nearly a common denominator that there is some kind of, some kind of sexual trauma or abuse in a lot of these women's past. And I've spent a long time thinking about that. I'll have to do another, another podcast on that topic. But not, not necessarily that that has anything to do with what sent them to prison. But as they were talking about their life story, she said, if you come back, you're going to hear that over and over and over and over again. Well, certainly it has something to do because because that left a void or a scar that caused them to yeah. do do things that they wouldn't have done with yeah. a healthier version of themselves. In men's prisons, the common denominator is do you know what it is? In men's, men's fatherlessness. Yeah, fatherlessness. Yeah, that, that is the one. Me. Yeah, yeah, and I just I I just mean the act that sent them to prison. Is certainly linked to that, but not necessarily, you know, the same yeah. act. Yeah, so I was fascinated that there is a theme at all. I didn't expect to encounter that, but now I know better. And really, I just really have a heart for um, getting the right messages to the right people yep. in the right place. And I just, it never occurred to me, but I think God is also in the business of weaving all the things he's doing in your life together if possible. So I thought, hey, why not? Why not try to put this book in the hands of every single woman on the inside of that prison? That'd be awesome. So I'm the trying. Book, the book is called How to Stay Standing. How do we find it? What's going on? How do we follow up with you? How yeah. do we follow you? Totally. You can follow me at the Allie Patterson on Instagram and Facebook, and that's my website as well. Book is everywhere books are sold. It's even at Target. It's everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, Books A Million, Target, wherever you buy books, it is. You can pre-order it until January 24th, and um, after that, hey, keep going. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Hey, hey everybody, I hope you learned something here today. Tough times are going to come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and a matter of how. How you choose to order your life right now will impact the amount of pain you have and impact how you get out of pain. We want as little pain for you as possible because we want you to live right and have the blessings that come out of it. That's what the aggressive life is all about. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, 
at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.